Thank you. <laughs> wow. I love y'all so much. I love my Bethel family. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm really starting to dream about going all over the world and all sorts of different places, but there's, there's no place like home. I really love y'all. I really do. I'm really thankful for you guys being my family and thankful for the support and the love that I get from all of you. It was crazy. How about Wednesday? I wake up. I have this amazing encounter with God, and I'm like, oh, my God, i got to preach this. And so at the breakfast table, my roommate from Cameroon is here, Toya. Thank you, Toya, for being here. <laughs> so at the... <laughs> At the breakfast table, I pull out my big old Bible and I'm like, I just got a word. I need to preach it. So you're going to listen. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting here preaching and preaching and preaching. And then later that evening, I checked my, uh, my phone and Scott had texted me and said, hey, you want to speak? I'm like, yes, I do. So, <laughs> so I want to share. I want to catch you up on Cameroon first because I always um, want to let you guys know what we're doing over there and give you some thanks for everything that you do. But what we're going to be talking about today is the most compelling thing. So I think you guys, I talked this summer and I was telling you how much of a horrible space I was in, how I was depressed and spiraling down even further, had planned to not only close my school, but quit ministry and completely withdraw from dealing with people at all. (laughs) And so literally when I went back, I had fully planned to, to, um, to close the school. I told Yvette, I'll be back by your birthday, which was October 8th. I really, I was done. I was finished. But I kind of went back because, you know, obedience, we like to do what God says and, you know, and we love God. We like to obey. So I went back and I said, let's just see how this works. And this ended up being the most amazing, beautiful, wonderful, glorious semester of Bethel Cameroon ever. It, it just was amazing. Some things had happened at the end of last year and over the summer, and I'm like, we're not going to have any students. I'm not going to have any interns. There's not going to be anybody here. I want to be here. They don't want to be there. Let's just close it down. But turns out we had, uh uh-oh, did I push the wrong button? Turns out, okay, that's not the right button. Yes, the forward button would be the right button, right? Am I pointing this way, that way? Help me, Blake. Okay. Okay. Okay, there we go. Oh man, I thought these pictures, yeah, I thought these pictures were going to be better. Like we got a professional camera person and everything, but still, they look like my iPhone pictures. Oh well. <laughs> so we have a full full Oh, that helps. Thanks. We have a full a full house again at Bethel Cameroon and not only we have 36 first years, but I have 20 people that graduated last year that said I'm not leaving you and they're still there with me, and it's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. So we have a full house. We have a brand new building, and it's bigger, and it's better, and it's cheaper, and it's a better location. I'm so daddy's favorite. It's just wonderful. And we're doing the stuff. You know, I was, I was wandering around the lobby this morning, and I was like, oh, man, this is great. We got the worship team in here. There's a soaking station out there. I was going around everywhere. There were prophetic station, and there was a place where you could um, get prayer for healing. And I was like, wow, I really love Bethel. And then I was sitting here going through my slides, and I was like, oh, we do the same thing. How about that? So you can see we're, uh-oh, 
Uh oh, I think I went too far. We're doing ministry here, and that's Bessie, and we're ministering to some of our students. But the best thing this year is that I don't have to do it all by myself, and and that's just amazing and wonderful. I have great help not only from my students but from my staff. This is my beloved staff at Bethel camera room. That's Bessie. She's going to kill me for showing that picture. That's her making the face. That's Susie, who is my mini-me. She can preach. She can pray. She can teach. She's a big mama's heart. And that's Roy, our worship leader. And um, I'm going to be posting some videos on our website soon of us doing worship. If I could just pause for a second. Where's Ron and Carolyn? Could you guys stand? I usually say this mysterious couple, but I really, really just have to thank them. They pay the salaries for my staff. And without their contribution... (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for honoring me with uh, honoring them with me. It's just the biggest blessing. They came over last year. Ron spoke and he cried. And I'm not even sure they remember anything that they, that he said, but they remember a father's heart, something they don't get to see often. He cried and preached and cried and talked about love and loving his children and loving his wife. And I don't think they've ever seen anything like that before. And they laid hands on every single student. They sat with my staff and they strategized with us. There was a problem going on and I sat down with them and had lunch this summer and Carolyn said, do you want me to fix it for you? I was like, wow, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. But just their love for me, their love for Bethel Cameroon, their love for the staff. I just really, I know I always say this mysterious couple. I asked them, please, will this embarrass you? I really want to honor you guys for all you do for Bethel Cameroon. Thank you. Second to my mom and daddy who ain't got no choice. They are really my greatest supporters over there. And I just appreciate that so much. So these are your guys, Bessie, Sue, and Leroy, and they're awesome. And not only that, I've got interns teaching, interns praying for people, laying hands on people, interns leading outreach, interns leading worship. So my life is so much better, so much easier. And it's it's kind of exciting. You know, I don't have any physical children, but it's exciting to birth children, spiritual children that can do what you do. And then you just kind of get to sit down and watch them do what they do. It's a wonderful feeling. We have just been having an outpouring of love this year at Bethel Cameron. This is the worship team singing. These are all interns and Roy, but we've got some first years that are also coming up to the team. I posted on Facebook that I needed a new sound system and my friend was sitting right there in the living room with me and she's like, oh, I have a sound system. You can have it. And I'm like, yes, God. And then I gave a testimony this weekend of that and Scott's like, I got two microphones for you and we needed a sound system and two new microphones because I usually pass those back and forth to the team and it's kind of not cool. So we'll have plenty of microphones, a new sound system. I'm very excited about that. And so our worship is extravagant. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's one of the highlights of Bethel Cameroon. And it just, it feels just like our worship here. And that's so exciting that an outpost of Bethel Atlanta can look and feel like Bethel Atlanta. And this is us just going for it. Sometimes we don't get to go to class because the worship is just so awesome. And I'm okay with that. So as I was saying, I was wandering around the lobby and I saw everything going on, but we're doing the same things. We had a love feast day and we had a foot washing. This was the intercessory room. Everybody got a chance in the middle of the circle for everyone to pray over them and prophesy to them. And they loved it. And this is us in the prayer room taking trips to heaven. So that was one of the other things that we did. So that was awesome too. I had to say, okay, get up, next station. Okay, wait a minute, just a little longer. No, get up. 
And this is another um, person receiving prayer. And then we had a foot washing. And we, I, I don't know if you can see that or not, but we decorated the chairs really fancy. I've just been making it my heart to treat them like royalty this year and just to pour out the Father's love. You know, when there's a spirit of poverty reigning over a country, I think one of the most important ways to break it is by making people realize that they are kings. And so I've, I'm treating them like kings and queens. And we decorate, we have fancy dinners, and we dress the tables. The first time we had a dinner, we dressed the tables with fancy, glossy tablecloths and candles. And they were like, wow, is this for us? I'm like, yes, this is for you guys. You're kings. So we've just been having this outpouring of the Father's love, this outpouring of community, of togetherness, of unity. And everything that I thought that was going bad, people leaving, people being disgruntled and upset, is completely not what's happening. And God is just pouring out his love. And it's just been a huge love feast. And sometimes guests visit and they say, wow, I've never seen love like this, and especially not in church. And I'm like, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. The same love that we enjoy, the same family and the same community that we enjoy here at Bethel Atlanta is spilling over to Bethel Cameroon. So thank you all so much for all that you do for us. Thank you for everyone that contributes to us and supports us and prays for us and sends me emails and prayers and prophetic words. It's making a great difference. So after having had such a great and awesome, wonderful semester, I'm like, hmm, maybe I won't withdraw from people, and hmm, maybe I won't quit ministry, hmm, maybe I won't shut down my school. In fact, and I start getting all these downloads, maybe we can do this all over the world. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing if we can just duplicate? This culture really works. This kingdom culture thing that we do here, it really works. It really changes people's lives. It really works. So what if we, what if we take it other places? And so I'm, you know, kind of talking to some people. I met a young lady in Kenya, kind of the same way I met the young lady that brought me to Cameroon. And so I'm like, maybe on my way home, I'll just hook a left and go to Kenya for a little while and maybe hook another left and go, well, maybe that's a right and go down to South Africa for a while and, and just see about taking this kingdom culture all over the world. It's just kind of excited about that right now. So I've been kind of talking to people like, anybody want to go with me? So if you're interested in traveling the nations and releasing the kingdom culture, get at me. That'd be good. <laughs> okay, so let me actually let me actually preach. How about that? So I'm having this encounter with God. Um, And usually in the mornings, I climb up into God's lap. I sit there. He gives me kisses. He tells me how much he loves me. And then he sings wonderful songs uh, over me. And so I got ready for that. You know, we'd been running around doing a whole lot. And I was like, I need some God time. So I climbed up in his lap and I sat down. I leaned my head against his chest. I closed my eyes. And I got ready for him to, you know, do what he usually does. And then Jesus comes walking up and sits on the opposite knee. Now, me and Jesus are real close. He's my big brother. And so my first thought when he sat down was... Get down, this is my time with daddy, you know? Like, you know, you know how kids are. Like, I'm sitting on daddy's lap right now. You wait till I'm finished and you come back. So he sits down and he's across me and he's sad, this sad look on his face. And I'm like, Jesus, not right now. He ain't even started singing yet. Come on, man. You got this sad look. I know you're about to ask me something or challenge. No, I don't want to have that kind of encounter. I want to have a sweet, lovey daddy encounter right now. And I looked again and his face is just sad. And I'm like, all right, 
what is it? And so I grabbed his hands and we're sitting there holding hands and he takes one of my hands and he puts it on his heart. And I just felt this overwhelming sorrow, this overwhelming pain, this overwhelming sadness. And all of a sudden my sweet, sweet happy time turned into, oh Jesus, what, what is that? What is, what is burdening your heart so bad? And it was, I closed my eyes and we just took a run around the globe And I got to see and feel and experience, I hope it was only a little bit because it was horrible, just the sorrow of Jesus for this world and his sorrow for every child that's exploited, every child that's raped, every child that's in sex trafficking, every woman who's raped in the Congo, every just all over the world where all this destruction and sin and horrible stuff is happening and his eyes were just so sad and burdened and sorrowful and his heart was just so heavy and I was like oh Jesus and so I sat there for a second and I'm like okay now what and all of a sudden I felt this heavy weight on my shoulder I felt this heavy weight on my heart and I got overwhelmed and I'm like okay what am I supposed to do oh this is horrible this is bad and I went into sherry let's do let's fix it mode and Jesus was like wait a minute I didn't show you that for that And he stands up, and all of a sudden, he's not my little big brother sitting across from me on his lap. All of a sudden, he stands up, and he's a king. And he's got on this beautiful, glorious robe and a beautiful, glorious crown. And he said, whenever you think about the sorrow of this world, remember that I'm a king. And you don't carry it as a burdensome weight. You don't feel overwhelmed. You don't feel like there's nothing we can do about this. There's no way we can fix this. Approach it from the mindset of a king. I was like, okay, that really helps. And he said, here, let me take that off your back. And there was this huge yoke on my back that was the weight of the world. And he took it off and he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then he puts on his yoke and it's small, but it's very kingly. It's very administrative and governmental. And I said, yeah, that feels better. That feels better, Jesus. And so I felt like Jesus wanted to share with me the burden of his heart, the passion of his heart for the world and everything horrible and yucky that goes on in the world. But he wanted to share it from the standpoint of I'm a king and I've got it all under control. So I was like, okay, that feels better. So then the father asked me a question. He says, so why do you do what you do? Why are you in Africa? Because I was, my parents went out of town this week, so I was kind of sleeping in their bed. It's this huge king-size bed with, you know I was sleeping in there. You knew it. It's this huge. <laughs> their bedroom is like a palace. It's like, you know, the jacuzzi and, oh, it's just a palace. So, you know, I was, I was, <laughs> I was sleeping in their bed and, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm propped up on all the pillows, feeling like a little princess. And God says, why do you do what you do? And I'm like, yeah, that's a good question because I'm in this comfortable bed right now. I'm about to go take a hot shower, about to go down to the refrigerator and eat whatever I want to eat. I'm about to go drive the truck. You know, I'm not taking a bucket bath. I'm not flushing the toilet with a bucket. I'm not, you know, I'm not in Africa right now, but I'm getting ready to go back. And I'm actually excited about going back. How about that? And so he's like, why do you do what you do? And I said, because I love you, because I'm head over heels in love with you and I would do anything that you asked. And he said, dig a little deeper. Why do you do what you do? And I'm like, oh man, okay, this is a test. So I asked the Holy Spirit, I'm like, God just gave me a pop quiz. Can you help me out with this? Because he's asking, you know how God asks you a question and he already knows the answer. So it's not like he, you know, he's not asking you for information because he sort of knows everything. And so I knew that there was something I was supposed to learn from that question. Okay, so why do I do what I do? Why do I go to Africa? Why do I want to go to Kenya? 
Why do I want to go to South Africa? Why do I want to go all over the world? Holy Spirit, help me out with this question. And all these scriptures start flooding into my soul. I'm going to share with you these scriptures, but you have to make me a promise. I know in the past with me, if somebody starts quoting scriptures from certain places, I just sort of shut my mind down. You start talking to them old prophets, the book of Revelation, all that, you just say, okay, I don't get none of that because none of that makes sense. Just stay with me, okay? These are scriptures from strange places that you may not know or recognize, but just stay with me. Don't glaze over. Don't clock out on me. Okay. So all these scriptures start flooding my soul. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. I almost didn't put where they were for it. That's Zechariah. It's over there in the Old Testament. Zechariah 9.10. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Another favorite. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which will not be destroyed. Daniel 7 and 14. So I'm getting all these kingdom scriptures and not only kingdom scriptures but kingdom scriptures that show us that the dominion of Jesus Christ is supposed to go over the whole earth. And then I saw my favorite picture of him. I'm, I'm very visual. Whenever I read the scripture, I love the visual that I get. It's his various parts of Revelations 19.11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And him who sat on was called Faithful and True. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and on his thigh a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. Just close your eyes for a second and see Jesus. See him on this huge white stallion. And he's got many, many crowns on his head. And he's got a sword that's literally coming out of his mouth. And he's called to rule over all the nations. He's called to rule. How come y'all looking at me? I say close your eyes. He's called to rule over all the earth. See your king, Jesus. Love that picture of him. He's not a baby in a manger. He's not Jesus walking around Jerusalem. He's not a man on a cross. He is the king of kings, reigning and ruling in heaven at the right hand of God. And so this was, okay, you can open your eyes now. This was the conclusion I came to. Why do I do what I do? Because Jesus is a glorious king and his destiny is to rule over all the earth. To me, that is the most compelling thing. There's nothing more important on this planet, in eternity, in anywhere, there's nothing more important than the fact that Jesus is a glorious king and it is his destiny to rule over all the earth. Okay, so as Christians, that should be the most compelling factor of our life, that Jesus is a king and he's supposed to rule. Say that with me because we're going to build on that. Jesus is a king and he's supposed to rule the whole earth. Okay, so we're like, yeah, we know that. In the millennium, all these crazy things are going to happen, blah, 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 and then Jesus is going to rule. And I think the most important thing that we could realize is when 
is Jesus supposed to rule over the whole earth? Because if we feel like that's going to happen at the end of days, after the sky falls and all this stuff that we read about in the book of Revelation, if we think that Jesus is, is supposed to rule the earth then, we're just waiting, right? We're waiting on the rapture, waiting on the millennium, we're waiting on all that, all that stuff. If we believe that that's when Jesus' rule is supposed to be. Are you with me? But that's not true. When did Jesus actually, when did his kingdom actually start? When did the period of time come when Jesus was supposed to begin ruling over the earth? At his resurrection. When Jesus raised from the dead and sat down at the right hand of the Father, that's when his rule began. Now, I could go through a bunch of scriptures um, in the book of Daniel, very prophetic, sometimes crazy book that you don't quite understand but and I won't make the argument I did it in a previous sermon before and it took forever and I used a lot of scriptures and I felt like a lot of people left me so if you would just trust me or you can write these down and go look at them later that the kingdom is right now okay the kingdom is right now so if we know that Jesus is a king and he's supposed to rule over the whole earth and he's supposed to do that right now That should do something to you. That should agitate you on a major, major, major level. Because the next question is after that is, what am I supposed to do? Right? If you look in the book of Daniel where it talks about the statue and then there's a stone that hits the statue and the statue falls. And when the angel was explaining it, he said, these are the four kingdoms that are ruling the earth right now. The Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And then he says, and in the days of those kingdoms, kings the stone that hit them and toppled them down was jesus christ that stone is going to become a huge mountain and it's going to fill the whole earth that is a picture of how the kingdom happens in the earth starts out as a small stone that at the time of the roman empire when jesus came crushed all other kingdoms and then began growing slowly 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 right And so it's like the scripture in Matthew 13, 31 through 32, where the kingdom is like a small, tiny mustard seed that was planted in the ground, and then it grew and grew and grew and became a large tree that fed all the birds of the air. There's so many scriptures where it talks about the kingdom as this thing that starts small. So it started small when Jesus rose and sat at the right hand of the Father and grows bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So we know that Jesus is a king, whose destiny is to rule the whole earth. And we know that that kingdom is supposed to be ruling the whole earth when? Now. Okay, so how does that happen exactly? Jesus is a glorious king who is supposed to rule over the whole earth now. So how is Jesus supposed to rule over the whole earth? Let me ask you, have you seen Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph, walking around Atlanta anytime recently? You seen him? Mm -mm, Not this week. No. mm -mm. Now I know we have all these things that we say, I see Jesus in you or I have visions, but the actual literal physical man, you ain't seen him. Ain't nobody seen him in quite a few thousand years. (laughs) Right? So he ain't here. Right? So if his kingdom is going to get established, if his rule is going to spread and take over the whole earth, how is that going to happen? Ta-da! One of the, I don't know,
don't know if it's scary. I don't know if it's compelling. I don't know what this scripture does to me every time I read it. Where Paul says in Colossians 1 and 24, I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That's crazy. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ? Jesus himself said it is finished, right? Did he fully perform an act that brought about the remission of our sins? Are we fully redeemed from the curse that was brought upon us by Adam when he made the agreement with the enemy? So if Jesus said it is finished when he took his last breath, then what in the world is Paul talking about when he says, I make up what is lacking? I was like, okay, let me flip through a few translations and see what he's saying. And it said, what remains to be completed? So what of what Jesus came to do remains to be completed. All nations. If his rule is to go from sea to sea and his dominion from the river to the ends of the earth, if the whole world is supposed to come under subjection to Jesus Christ, then what Paul was saying was, Jesus did say it is finished and he completed his part of the work of of making sure that dominion that was originally given to Adam and Eve was restored back to man, right? We were given dominion at the beginning, Adam gave it away to Satan. Jesus came and gave it back to us, right? And so Jesus completed his part. And Paul had the grasp and the understanding to realize that it's up to us to do the rest. And so when he says this, I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Jesus did a completed work. He could truly say, it is finished. I've done my part. But what is still lacking is the visible manifestation of his rule on the earth. And that is left to us. And that's why Paul lived his life the way that he did, because he understood that even though Jesus said it was finished, it was, his part was finished, and Jesus said, all right, I'm done. I'm sitting down, right hand of the Father. It's finished. But Paul understood that even though Jesus' work was finished, the work, the overall work of what has to be done is not finished. And what has to be done is this message of the kingdom has to go to the ends of the earth. And so each one of us should say like Paul that I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus did all his work to restore the kingdom to this world, but it's up to us to bring forth the the visible manifestation of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We good? We together? Okay. And and there's more scriptures that just really solidify this. So put these together. At the end of all the gospels, there's variations on the same theme. And that that theme is is that Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father and the disciples go out and preach everywhere. Jesus actually says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So there's this picture of I've done my work, I've been given all authority, I'm sitting down at the right hand of the Father, and now you go and take the earth. You go and take dominion. I've done it in the spirit realm, in the heavenly realms, Jesus rules over everything, but on earth, we're the ones that have to work it out. 
And that's the most compelling thing, right? It has to come to our, to the point that our lives are, it, 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 everything about our life is all about that. The fact that Jesus is a glorious king who's supposed to rule over the whole earth now and that that rule is going to come through me and you. Yeah? Okay, more scriptures. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. How is that going to happen? Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And even though we see that there's deep darkness over all the earth and deep darkness over all the people, the Lord will arise on you, and his glory will be seen on you. And when that happens, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. We're called to extend the reality of the kingdom to all the earth. When, 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 when he says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory, I mean, there's a difference between the earth being filled with his glory and the earth being filled with the knowledge of his glory, right? If he's a ruling and reigning king, reigning and ruling in heaven upon the throne, but people don't know that, the earth doesn't change. So it has to be that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, people knowing that he's a king, people respecting and submitting to the fact that he's a king is what spreads his kingdom over all the earth. And so in order for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, that glory is coming upon you and me And we arise and we shine in that glory. And when we release it all over the the, the world, that's how we change. And that's how we establish his kingdom. Is this, this is making sense? We're good? We're good. Okay. Then the kingdoms and dominions and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. There's two scriptures in Daniel. Daniel 7 is this awesome, amazing vision that the, that the prophet Daniel actually has. And he sees Jesus ascending to the Father. And when he ascends, all kingdoms and dominions are given to him that all nations and languages and peoples might serve him. And when did that happen? Once again, when Jesus ascended to the throne. A lot of people think that's at the end, at the second coming of Christ, but he won't be ascending then, he'll be descending, right? So if we're talking about a time when Jesus was given kingdom and dominions, it was when he ascended after the resurrection. And so at that point in time, as we said, back when he was resurrected, that's when the kingdoms and dominions were given to him that all nations and languages and peoples should serve him. A little later down in the chapter, it actually says this, then the kingdoms and dominions and the greatness of the kingdoms of the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. Jesus is sharing with us his glory. He's sharing with us his dominion. He's sharing with us his rule. And so when, we, when he ascended to heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father and received all authority, when he received all dominion and glory, when he came to that place where all nations and people and languages and tongues should serve him, he instantly transferred it to us and says, I'm sharing with you my dominion. I'm sharing with you my glory. I'm sharing with you my kingdoms. And so we, as a nation of kingdom people, are supposed to be spreading that rule to all the earth. Every time we work a miracle, every time we pray for the sick, every time we lay hands on somebody, what did Jesus say? Anytime you cast out a demon, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. 
Every time we lay hands on somebody and sickness leaves, disease leaves, depression leaves, whatever leaves, whatever, um, whatever manifestation of the king of the domain of the enemy leaves, we've released the kingdom to them. He's given us all of this. He's given us supernatural power so that we can release his kingdom. When he ascended and he was given all authority, he shared it with us. It says it right here. The kingdoms and dominions and greatness of the kingdoms shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. We already have authority. We already have dominion. We've already been given the kingdoms of this world. We just have to walk it out. We just have to manifest it. That should be the driving force behind your life, that Jesus is a king And he rules over all the earth. And he shared his dominion and his glory with me. And so therefore, I'm going to go and take all nations. Yeah? Okay. Let's see what else we got. Okay, so I just, I, I put it there. I just wanted to keep saying it over and over. I want this to be the theme of our lives this year and the theme of our lives forever, that Jesus is a glorious king who's supposed to rule over the whole earth now and he is to establish that rule through us. Everything that we do should be motivated by that compelling fact. When we spread the love of God, when we release the love of God on somebody, we say the kingdom of heaven has come to you. When we pray for somebody and we release a miracle, the kingdom of heaven has come through you. It's, it's, it's not like he's going to take land. How do, we, how do we extend the kingdom? Through people. I, I, I spent the weekend with a whole bunch of kingdom revivalists, and it was amazing and wonderful. And it was almost as if we got into this bubble, this space of, oh my God, you're a revivalist, you're a revivalist, we're all revivalists. We all believe the same thing. We all have the same value, and we want to take the earth. And we just got into this place of love and fellowship, and it was beautiful and amazing, and I, I, my whole world got rocked by it. So I'm driving home after the thing is over, and I look up and I see a, um, what do you call those things? Billboard. And the billboard, it's just a crazy Christmas billboard that says, tis the season for martini. And I was almost offended because here I am in this kingdom place and the kingdom is taking over the whole world. And then I drive out of that place and all of a sudden I realize, no, the kingdom doesn't rule the whole world. This is the season for martini. You know, it was just, it was a sign that we don't rule yet, that there are other forces that rule the earth. There are other forces that influence and rule the earth. It, it should get to a day where the kingdom is so pervasive and so evident that we don't have billboards like that. Do I sound crazy? I mean, with, when we're going to the beach in Boya, we drive, uh, Cameron has a real problem with alcoholism, serious and severe problem with alcoholism. And so anywhere you drive, you pass by bars and bars and bars. So when we go from our house to the beach, we pass by the main brasseries, as they call it, which is a place where they manufacture the liquor that goes to the whole country. And every time we go by, we declare, you're closing in the name of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come. And you know, we get all riled up driving past that place. It's, What does revival look like? What does it look like when we as kingdom citizens rise up and take our place and literally change the earth? We won't have any more billboards that talk about tis the season for martini. They'll know that this is the season where we celebrate the king of kings. If that sounds crazy, there was a small point in history where this actually happened. I love reading stories of the Welsh revival where they took a whole country where bars shut down because of revival, where the police stations shut down because of revival. There was no crime. There was no need for a police station. Even stadiums that were filled with people going to soccer games were shut down because everybody was involved in revival. 
Can you imagine what it would look like for revival to visit America? For us to rise up to our place and change it so much so that it's not me sequestered away with a bunch of revivalists where I experience the kingdom, but I can drive in my car anywhere in this city and I feel the kingdom. I see the kingdom. The billboards reflect the kingdom. Everything reflects the fact that we as kingdom citizens have taken over. This has to be the most compelling thing. It has to be the thing that changes your life. It has to wipe out all other priorities to where you say, my king is a glorious king and he's supposed to rule over the whole earth now. And it's only as I get in place and do what I'm supposed to do that that the world is going to start to look like he's a ruling and reigning king. We're supposed to disciple nations. The world should look different because we're here, because we're revivalists, because we're changing people's hearts. And when we change people's hearts, that changes the culture and changes society. Everything should change because we know who we are in God and we know who we are as kingdom citizens and revivalists and that we won't rest until the world looks different, until his glory is evident everywhere we go. So I want to challenge you today, what is your most compelling thing? If I were to look at your life, what you do when you wake up first thing in the morning, how you spend your day, if I look at a month in your life, what will I be convinced is the most compelling thing? Before I quit my job, the most compelling thing was the mortgage, and the car note, and every other bill that I had to pay. That made me go to a job every single day that I hated because I had to pay the mortgage. And even when I was talking to God about quitting, it was like, well, how am I gonna pay these bills? What are we gonna do about these bills? The most compelling factor in my life was not the kingdom. It was the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And just truth, that's just truth, that's truth. I I wanted to live a certain lifestyle, and without my job that I hated, that wasn't my destiny, that wasn't my calling, That's what I had to do every day. So what is the most compelling thing in your life? If you look at your life, what drives your decisions and choices? Is it money? Is it a certain lifestyle? Is it, what is it? If somebody were to put you on paper and look at what you do, look at who you are, look at how you manage your life, would they be convinced that the most compelling thing is Jesus being a glorious king who's supposed to rule the whole earth through you now? Just a question for the year. Just a question to go over in your heart and to think about. What is the most important motivating factor in your life? What would you say no to if God asked? What are your limits? Now, just because I live in Africa and do whatever don't mean that I'm completely and totally sold out. Ask this one right here. She talked about going to the bush. I'm not. Um, I got, God has jokes. God has jokes. I got all these prophetic words about going to the bush, and I'm like, mm. You know, in the bush, there's no running water, and there are no toilets, and if I can just be honest, things that you have to do when there are no toilets... I'm just not with that, Jesus. I love you, but there's something about air hitting my hind parts that says, no, this is wrong. There's something really wrong right
right here, right now. No, no. She showed me a picture when she went to the bush and she showed me the water that they bathe in and I'm like, is that after you took a bath? No, you take a bath in dirty water, what's the point? I just, there's some things I'd, mm-mm. There was a, a, a picture on a friend's website of a snake and this guy's literally holding his arms like this. And the snake goes from the ground to one arm all the way across and down to... I'm not going to the bush. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. You know, sometimes... (laughs) I'm sure it's going to be this year. It's going to be this year I'm going to the bush. I just know it. God is laughing. I feel... Y'all feel that shaking? That's God laughing at me right now. He's laughing. There's a vibrating in the room. That's the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Like, she don't even know. <laughs> Wake up and have a snake crawl right next to me. Like, what'd you say you weren't going to do? Yeah. So what would you say no to if God asked? And what are your limits? Because if there are limits, <laughs> then the kingdom may not be the most compelling thing. And how, you know, the earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for the sons of God to rise up and to do what we're supposed to do. The whole earth is in chaos. I was Yvette's house. We, we had this thing that we do where we plot and scheme to take over the world. And I know it's taken a while, but it's a big world. But we were plotting and scheming one day. And um, Yvette is this media mogul. She's doing this amazing thing called Raising Kings. Go check her out on Facebook. It's amazing. Every time she tells me about it, I'm like, I wish I had a big fat check because this is one of the most amazing projects that I've ever heard. Raising Kings. Check it out on Facebook or go to Yvette's page. But we're sitting and I'm sitting with, I'm facing the television and she's facing me. And I know she thinks I'm not listening because I'm just looking at the TV, looking at the TV, looking at the TV. And she's a media mogul, so she's got VH1 on. Not because she's a heathen, but this is your, (laughs) this is, this is her world. This is the mountain that she's called to take. And so she's called to take this entertainment mountain. And so I haven't been here in a while. And so I'm watching these images on VH1 like, are they allowed to do that on TV? Can they show that on TV? Oh my God. There's this big butt song. I'm like, what? What? Is this what our culture is celebrating? Are you serious? And it's like, Yvette's life, from when she was a child, she tells stories of how she used to be on a soapbox talking to her mom in the kitchen about BET and how all the world is going to go to hell from watching BET. And she is just called to be this media mogul that takes over the world. And so to her, it's the most compelling thing, that there is a culture, a hip-hop culture out there that's destroying our youth. And I've got to. The earth is groaning. There's horrible stuff on television, and it's normal, and it's okay. It's not rated at all. And so her most compelling thing is, I have to change the face of media. There has to be an alternative to this hip-hop culture that's a kingdom culture that changes the way all of this looks. The world can't look like this. Some of the images I was seeing on TV, the world cannot look like this. I was mad. I was angry. I, I was incensed. I was like, this is ridiculous. Our children are watching this. And her life is given to the fact that the world can't look like this. What is your life given over to? What is the most compelling thing? In what way is the earth groaning calling out to you? It groans in so many ways. I put my hand on Jesus' heart and I saw hungry children. I saw orphans. I saw Africa in poverty and in gross darkness. That's 
the way the earth groaning calls out to me. It may not call out to you that way. Not everybody is going to get on a plane and go to Africa. Like I said, some of y'all got to stay here and work and send me money. So, But <laughs> in what way does the earth groaning call out to you? What thing in our culture, what thing in our society do you see and something rises up in you and says, I'm supposed to fix that. I'm supposed to fix that. Okay, so we were in worship this weekend and... God just started this download and I had all these little pink, pink, pink pieces of paper and he was giving me notes. My whole sermon was on sticky notes last night all over the room. It was exciting and fun. But God asked two questions and he worded them as a question from him to you. So don't shoot the messenger. This, I'm just relaying a message. How much of you belongs to me? How much of what is yours belongs to me. What is the most compelling thing in your life? We have to be compelled by the fact that Jesus is a king and his destiny is to rule over the whole earth now and that he can only establish that rule through me and you. That has to become the most compelling thing, the most important thing. And it's time for each one of us to discover when the earth groans, what part of it is is groaning to me. You know, discipling nations, nations just, it's not just India, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Africa, whatever. Nations, there's a a, a nation of media. There's a nation of arts and entertainment. There's a nation of government. There's a nation of education. There's a nation of family. There are seven nations And if we're going to bring revival, it's not only in the church, it's to all these nations. What nation are you called to? And in what way are you supposed to bring his kingdom to rule in the earth? It has to be the most compelling thing. It has to be the most important thing. Find out who you are and what you're supposed to do and be about the business of doing it. Because that's the only way his kingdom is going to come. That's the only way this earth is going to change. And it's the only way for you to have the most fulfilling, exciting, adventurous life that you could ever possibly live. It's like a win-win. Us fulfilling Jesus' destiny to rule the earth fulfills our destiny as well. And every provision comes with that. Everything that you need comes with that. And it's exciting and wonderful and beautiful. And everything falls together wonderfully. So what is the most compelling thing in your life? Is it the fact that Jesus is a glorious king who's called to rule the whole earth now and that that kingdom can only be established through me and you? Amen? So Father, I just thank you so much for this Bethel family. I thank you so much for this group of fire-breathing revivalists that want to see your kingdom come. Jesus, just impact us with that right now, with the reality that you are king and that you're supposed to rule the whole earth. And I thank you, Jesus, that as the earth is groaning and crying out for the sons of God to rise up and be sons of God, that each one of us will hear a particular call in our ears 
that each one of us will feel a particular call to a nation, whether it be America, whether it be a foreign nation in the Middle East and Africa, whether it be a symbolic prophetic nation such as media or arts or entertainment. I just declare that each one of us will find the nation that we're called to and that we will disciple that nation. Jesus, all authority and all power in heaven and earth has been given to you and you've transferred it to us so that we can disciple nations. Jesus, show us our nation. Show us that we have authority and power, that kingdoms and dominions and glory have been given to us, that the knowledge of your glory will fill the earth as we arise and shine and show forth that glory that you've given us and let it become the most compelling thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Kingdom is now. Kingdom is now. So as we go, um, we're going to put you on the spot again. If you'll sit there, we're going to, we don't do a lot of special offerings, but we can't let her go back without sewing in. And so um, as as we end today, if this is your home, I'm going to ask you again, if this is your church home, if you, you're one of the 300, I'd like you to sow in to Sherry. And, and if uh, money's money's tight, give a dollar. Something happens when I invest in someone, even, even a dollar. So if this is your home, I'd ask you to have 100% participation at some level. And then uh, prayer teams, if you guys would line up over there, I just, people are getting healed today. So if there's any.